Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. I found an interesting story about Martin Luther I'd like to share with you. It was in 1540, Martin Luther's friend and assistant, his name was Frederick Myconis, and he became very, very sick, and he was actually expected to die. And as he lay there on his deathbed, Frederick wrote a farewell letter to Luther. So here he is, he's about to die, he takes out his letter. And when Luther got it, he sent back this reply. I command thee in the name of God who to live, because I still had need of thee in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead, but permit thee to survive me. For this I am praying, this is my will, and my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God, end quote. Strong words, strong prayer. But Myconus, even though he had lost his ability to speak when Luther's letter arrived, in a short time actually got better. And he completely recovered, and he actually lived, he outlived Luther by two months. And the article goes on to say, this is what we call answered prayer. Answered prayer. Now listen, we can all rejoice that when we pray, God hears us. Can I get an amen? And that's exactly what Psalm 138 is all about. Okay? It's praise. It's a praise to God, guys, for all the answered prayers. But it's much, much more than that. It's a praise for plans, and it's a praise for purpose. But... Go with me for just a second. Let's go back in our minds for praising God for all the answered prayers. Because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking what a lot of people think. Answered prayers are usually always yes prayers. God, I want this. Would you please get me that? Yes. Yay, praise God. Woo! Hey, Craig, guess what I did? I was praying to God. And that's exactly right. Luther says, hey, my Conish, you're going to live. I still have need of thee. And God answers that prayer. But sometimes... The answered prayer is what? Wait. God says, wait, be patient. It's not for you right now. I may have it for you, but it's not right now. And then on Sunday, if you weren't here, remember, the answered prayer sometimes was no. No. As we looked at Salome, thinking, my sons need to be at the right hand and at the left hand of Christ, and there he was on the cross, and and, and Salome, the, the heart of a mom could have said, oh my goodness, thank you for not answering this prayer But God did answer the prayer, but not in the way she wanted. And so we need to thank God and praise God for when he answers no. When he answers no. So Psalm 138 is about answered prayer. But it goes deeper than that. It's also praising God for for the plans and purpose. Well, you go, well, how how did David in his heart, talk about, I mean, how did he, how did Psalm 138 grow? Well, if you're taking note, jot this down, it grew out of opposition. You see, it was the neighboring nations that always wanted to attack David when he was king. 
Now, if you were to hold your place here, we're going to come back to this, but I want to show you how Psalm 38 grew, and it grew out of 2 Samuel chapter 8. So go back to 2 Samuel chapter 8. Now, while you're turning there or moving quickly, let me just say this. For years, if you recall, David had little power. He was put out in the fields to keep a small flock of sheep for his family. When Samuel came on the scene to anoint Israel's future king from among the sons of Jesse, David was not even considered a possibility. If you recall, he had to be what? He had to be instructed to bring him in from the field. Well, is this all the sons? No, I have one little son. No, it can't be Dave. Not little Dave. Well, go get Dave. And they bring David in, and you remember. And he had to bring him in from the field. And there was a time when David exercised a certain amount of power and authority under Saul. But soon, under Saul, he also became a fugitive. And then his official power was taken away, and even his wife was taken from him. Now, for years, Saul is dead. David has been king, and basically in Israel, in his palace. Now, in our text, David will subdue his enemies and bring about peace. But chapters 8 through 10, we find David in his finest form. He employs the power of God has given to accomplish God's will. Now remember, Psalm 138 grew out of opposition from this text. Look with me for the first 14 verses. We won't cover all of it, but I want to show you. It says, after this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Metheg Amah from the hand of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground. He measured them off with a line. With two lines, he measured off those to be put to death, and with one full line, those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadiezer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobath. As he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates, David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung all the chariot horses except that he spared enough for them to have 100 chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadiazar, king of Zobath, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. And David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants, and he brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. He took the shields of gold that he had belonged into the the servants of Hadiazar, and he brought them into Jerusalem. Also from Betah and from Berothai, cities of Hadiazar, King David took a large amount of bronze, and when King Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadazar, then Toy sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadazar and defeated him, for Hadadazar had been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, articles of bronze, 
King David also dedicated these to the Lord along with the silver, the gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued. Verse 12, from Syria and Moab, from the people of Amnon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, from the spoil of Hadiazar, or the son of Rehob, king of Zobath. And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. He also put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all of Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites of da- became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Your attention, please. Think about this. It was God's plan that David reign over Israel. But the Jebusites, the Philistines, and the Moabites wanted to divide Israel with a weak leader. Okay? So David knew God's will. He prayed for God's help. He trusted God for victory and defeated the enemy. Now, think about this. God, in his beautiful mercy, has a plan for each one of his children. So if you're here today and you go, what's my plan? God has a plan and God has a purpose. For every follower of Jesus, his plan is that we live victorious while we're on the earth. That's a good place for an amen. Because that's what God wants for us. But our enemies, who are our enemies? You ready? Jot this down. You know it's the devil. You know it's the flesh. And you know it's the world. Our enemies want us weak and broken, living lives of defeat. Now, again, think about this. God wants you to live a victorious Christian walk while you're on the earth. The problem is you've got enemies coming after you like crazy, just like it did with David. Guys, when we read 2 Samuel, think about it. This is exactly what you and I face each and every day. Oh, no, no, no. There's not armies like the Jebusites or the Philistines or the Moabites, but in concept, in precept, they're here. How so? Well, again, you got to take notes because we're going to break this down. You go, what do you mean? Okay, jot this down. Jebusite. What's a Jebusite? You can write next to that threshers. Threshers. Okay? T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R-S. In our day, in our day, they are spirits that tread or stomp on other people. Understand that. You go, what do you mean? These are... People whose hearts are infected by the Jebusite spirit tends to be people, listen to me, who do not hesitate to put down and humiliate others. That's the Jebusite spirit. You go, well, how so? By stomping on people, the Jebusites make a concerted effort to prevent them from growing taller. They like to make people feel small. How? By putting them down. That's a Jebusite spirit. You go, what does this mean? This is known as the world. So as the Jebusites are threshers, you can link it to the world. That's what the world wants to do. The world always wants to put you down. 
The world never wants to lift you up, never wants to encourage you, never wants to see you how God sees you. That would be the Jebusite spirit. Everybody got that? Okay. The second group of people, well, let me, I, I have more notes here, so here, here's what I was saying. As you grow in your walk with God, there are people in your life who will always seem to put you down. Oh, God spoke to me. No, he didn't. God wouldn't speak to you. No, 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 no. You don't have a theology degree. Oh, but but you don't understand. Listen, I saw a miracle. It was just the greatest. No, you, come on. And, and they have a tendency to do that, don't they? It's a Jebusite spirit. And I think about, and I think about these because it is, it's, it's a type of the world. And, and these are the people that often keep us from growing in our walks with God. Why? Because they want us to continue to be weak and vulnerable. And I always look and I think, okay, in this relationship, do I always walk away? Am I, am I better? Am, is, in this relationship, am I walking away going, ah, I feel good. Yes. I love hanging out with this guy. I love hanging out. Or do I, do I walk away? That was a lot of work. I just, I feel down now. I feel like I'm not worth it. I feel like I'm not. That's, that's the Jebusites, guys. That's the Jebusites. Second Samuel chapter five, verse eight or nine. I'm going to read from the good news translation. It says, then that day, David said to the men, does anybody here hate the Jebusites as much as I do? Enough to kill them? Then go up through the water tunnel and attack the poor blind cripples. And that's why it said the blind and the crippled cannot enter the Lord's house. After capturing the fortress, David lived in it and named it the city of David or David City. And he built a city around it starting at the place where the land was filled with or filled in on the east side of the hill. So David was upset. David didn't like the Jebusites. They were they were the threshers. They were the So now we have to do a little bit of inventory really quick. Are there people in our lives that when we talk to them that we walk away better? Or are we feeling super down after talking to them? And we got to be careful, guys, because, because that's the type of, like, like, like you have this, like, oh man, oh, and, and, and again, here's, here's how we got to be careful. Let me just, can I, can I speak to husbands and wives real quick? This is husbands and wife, okay? Let me just say it this way, okay? And, and I got to be careful. Women are very smart, okay? And they get the Bible. They, they really understand the Bible very well. Guys, let's just say take a little bit longer. But when a guy gets fired up, he'll go to his wife and he'll say, sweetie, look, I read this, this, and, 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 and some, and our wives, yeah, that's what I've, I've been trying. Okay? You know, you've known it for a while, but the guy just got it. Now, at this point, you have an opportunity to encourage him, or you have an opportunity to be a Jebusite. Well, I've been telling you this for five years. I've read my Bible six times through. What's wrong with you? Well, that's going to discourage your husband right there. 
And what you should do, wives, is go, wow, yes, that's amazing. What else is God showing you? And let me encourage you to be in the Word. Because it's not a competition of how much we know, but how much we can encourage each other. So we need to be careful. Now we need to do that with, 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 with other people. With other people. When we come through, guys, let's remember... Let's remember, when we're asking somebody, how you doing, let's just not make it our general West Texas charm. How you doing? But we really don't have time to dialogue and find out how you doing. How you doing? Good. That's our go-to. Good. I'm doing all right. Okay. Now that we got that, how you really doing? How you really doing? I'm not doing that good. If I'm being honest, I'm hurting or here, or whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. I think it's important, guys, in these last days as we, as we grow as a family that, that, that we're, able to be, we're able to be vulnerable. How you doing? I'm not doing good. I'm broken. I'm sad. I'm, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. We never want anybody to think anything's wrong with us. We never want anybody to think that we have a broken marriage or, or, we're, or we're fighting or whatever it might be. We, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing good. This, this, this. No, 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 no. It's like, man, we're, we're really struggling. Pray for us. I'm not asking you to fix it. I'm just saying, if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm, I'm going to tell you how I'm doing. I think it's so important. But David also, he also attacked the Philistines. You have a pencil handy. The Philistines were the ancient people primarily known for their constant conflict with the, with the Israelites. You guys know that, described in the Bible. It's always the Philistines, the Philistines. Now for us, they're constantly con- conflicting with Israel. It would be like the devil, wouldn't it? That's, that's to us, it sounds like a lot, always attacking and in constant conflict with us. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? So the Philistines are a type of the devil. First Samuel chapter 8, verse 1 says, And it came to pass that David attacked who? The Philistines and subdued them. The Bible says for you and I, in James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, so we have the world over here constantly wanting to put you down. Right? And then now you have the, you have the devil always attacking you. And where does the devil want to attack mostly? Guys, where does he attack? He attacks our mind. Ephesians calls it the fiery darts. And he attack, well, and we start thinking, and the devil comes in, and, and you guys know this. You know this. And of course, David, he attacked and defeated the Moabites. And the Moabites really, jot this down, are a striking figure of the flesh. How so? Well, number one, their start was bad in Genesis chapter 19. Number two, they were excluded from the congregation of God's people, And number three, they were to be utterly destroyed. The last mention of them in Scripture being the flesh is not about not about what is physical, the body, but about the evil principle within us that makes self the center of our thoughts 
and ways instead of God. In other words, the flesh is opposed to God's will and cannot please him. Well, so, well, we know that the flesh centers around us. There's terms for that. It's called egocentric, and it makes it impossible to walk victorious when we and our flesh centers all around us. So what do you have? Well, Romans thirteen fourteen says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Okay? So, our psalm tonight is born out of David's victory. We see that from chapters 8 through 10, we find David subduing, we find him in his finest form, and what does he do? The same thing I'm encouraging you to do tonight, employ the power of God to what? To accomplish God's will. That's what he's telling us to do. Now, as we jump into the psalm, if you're taking note, the psalm is a praise to the one true God, and it's broken up in three sections. Verses 1 through 3, we're going to praise God for answered prayer. Can I get an amen? Okay. Verses 4 to 6, we see resting in God's plan for the world. I think it's very appropriate today because of the world and where it's going. And then verses 7 and 8, we're going to thank God for his purposes in our lives. That's what David writes, okay? Very, very, very applicable to us. So that's our intro. 138 is born out of all of that's going on in Second Samuel, all of the Jebusites, the Philistines, the Moabites, the victory, all of that. And now David comes and he's going to talk about answered prayer. That's point number one. Psalm 138.1 says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. That, my friends, is a great verse to underline, to highlight. Why? Because this one verse is so packed full of wisdom and growth. Remember, David is singing. He's singing out and he says this. I'm going to praise you with my, what? Whole heart. And that's, that's interesting. Why? Because we need to break this down. What's he talking about? Well, if you have a pencil handy, you can circle that word for praise. Okay? Because the word here is yada. Yada. Okay? It's Y-A-W-D-A-W. That's what it means. And it means to hold out the hand to reserve or worship with extended hands, in part with casting out, confession, and thanksgiving. So David says, guys, I will praise you with my whole heart. With my whole heart. What do you mean your whole heart? That, when he's talking about whole heart, that which is within me, with all that is within me, with uprightness of intention and fervency of affection, the inward impression agreeing with the outward expression. 
That's what David says. He says, I'm going to, with my hands, with confession, with thanksgiving, God, you are amazing. This is so good. And what's happened, he says, with my whole heart, with everything that is within me, agreeing with everything in my outward expression. That's what he's talking about. That's my whole heart. That's my whole heart. But he also says this. Before the notice, and it's little g gods. Gods. Okay? I will sing praises to you. Now, we have to do some work. How so? Well, David is praising the one true God where? Before all of the false gods. You got that? So if you're not afraid to write in your Bible, look at verse 1. Take the little g, make a little arrow, and you could write idols. These are idols. Okay? Right there. I will praise you with my whole heart before the idols, the little gods, I will sing. Idols. Let's talk about idols for just a moment. The goal is to praise the one true God and worship him. The problem is many people have idols in their heart. It's a subtle thing in our lives, but they're there. Idols. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, writes that our hearts are idol factories. If we could just take a moment to look deep in our hearts, we would discover that we have been taking things that are good and actually making them ultimate. That's an idol. That's an idol. You're taking good things. Good things. You go, Ben, Ben, okay, let me, let me see if I get it. What, what are idols? Okay, ready? Anything more important to you than God. Let me say that again. Anything more important to you than God. That's an idol. Anything, listen, that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Take a step back for a moment, breathe, and say, what do I think about mostly throughout the day? What, what absorbs my mind, my imagination? That's an idol. Anything you seek to give you that only God, what only God can give. So, so you've got this amazing definition. Anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination. And what we think about more than anything. You see, idols do something very interesting. Jot this down. What's that? They give us a sense of being in control, and we can locate them by looking at our nightmares. You go, what does that mean? You ready? What do we fear the most? What if we lost it would make life not worth living. That's an idol. 
That's an idol. We have to be so careful because throughout the years of my life, I've run into people that have made their spouse an idol. And I understand the longer you've been together, I get the fact that you go, hey, I can't live without my spouse. I can't live, um, you know, if they go, I get that. But the thing about it is that an idol is saying, if I lost that, life would not be worth living. David is reminding us to search our hearts because he says, I'm going to praise the one true God and and the idols, I'm going to... Think about what he says. He says, I'm going to praise you before the idols. I'm going to sing praises. And he says, to you, to you. You go, well, Ben, let's talk more about idols for just a second. What are some idols, church, that we should never worship? You go, what are they? Family. Family. Family is a God thing. It's a good thing, but it's not, should never be put above God. Children. We love our children. We'd lay our lives down for our children. We would. But we have to be so careful in our hearts that we don't take something so beautiful that God has gave us, reverse the creative order, and make it God. Children. Some people worship career. That's an idol. That's an idol. Some people worship making money. Achievement, critical acclaim, or even saving face. Things we should never worship, social standing. Relationships. Peer approval. We should never worship competence and skill. Security or comfortable circumstances. We should never worship beauty and brains, social causes, or even Christian ministry. What does David say? We were created to worship the one true God. The one true God. All of these things could be good things until we take it and we make it ultimate. And your life begins to revolve around these things and not about God. It's very sobering to hear that David exhort us, guys. He exhorts us. Notice what he says. He says, I will praise you. Guys, think of what he's saying. With my whole heart. Why does he say, before the idols, before the gods, I will sing praises? And I'll tell you why. Because it's the same principle that we use. Every time we make something good and we make it ultimate, it takes a piece of our heart and we give it to an idol. And then we take this and we give it to an idol. And we take this and give it to an idol. And we take this and we worship this idol. And then then we can't say, God, I love you with my 
whole heart because your heart isn't whole anymore because you've been giving your heart away to different idols. And we've got to be careful, guys, because people and things make horrible gods, don't they? They do. People and things make horrible gods. Husbands make horrible gods. And women who put their husband in a place, they're going to be disappointed right away. There's a difference between being a godly man and being God. And so we have to be so careful. Men, women make horrible gods. That's not their place. They were not created to be God. They're godly women, but they're not God. Think about what Paul wrote to the Roman church in chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. He said, Therefore God gave them over to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. What did they do? Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. What did Paul write? He said, "We there's so many people that have reversed the creative order. And they were worshiping idols. David says, only worship the one true God. The other things in life, what are they for, guys? To bring worship of God for them. In other words, you thank God for your wife because she is a gift from God. You go, Ben, thank you for my husband. He's not God, but I worship God because of him. All the blessings that you get, you should be going, thank you, God. You see, here's the thing we got to be so careful. We say, we all gather together. Okay, we're going to, let's bless the meal. And we'll go, bless the bless. And sometimes we just get so routine in blessing the meal. But what we should do is go, wow, Lord, this is so good. Thank you for allowing us to eat today. I worship you. I worship you. That's what it's created for, guys. It's created all of the things in life. Our children, ah, wonderful. Our grandchildren, wonderful. Our relationships, wonderful. Our family, wonderful. But it should always bring us to worship God. That's what David is saying. It goes on in verse 2, Psalm 138. Get back there. He says, I will worship toward your holy temple. I will praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. Isn't David just amazing right here? Why? Because he's giving us a description of worshiping God. First of all, he says, man, I'm going to praise God with my whole heart, everything that is within me. I'm not going to allow something to creep up and take place where God should be. I'm going to worship God. The second thing he comes here and he says, here it is, guys. I'm going to worship because of your loving kindness. I looked up that word. It actually means tenderness and consideration towards me. Guys, we worship the Lord because of God's tenderness towards us. 
How many, how many times should we have been toasted? You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, bzz, toast, okay. Aren't you glad that we're not God? Because we'd be toasting people all over the place. Oh, you looked at me wrong. Bzz, toast, you know, or, I mean, that we just would be. And, and that's why we're not God. But I just think of his tenor. He, he looks at me, and, and, and you know that, right? The Lord Jesus probably has has some wrinkles on his forehead for me, you know, just going, oh, there's Ben again. You know, he does this, and but he's so tender, and he's merciful toward us. i got to be honest with you, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. When it comes to God's standard, I fall way short. Way short. And I think about what David's saying. He said, I praise you for your loving kindness. He also says, I praise you for your truth. In a world full of false news, in a world full of false lies, we can praise God for the truth in the Word of God. Guys, that's so, so, so important. He says, I'll praise you. I'll praise you for your truth. I love how the Word of God is so, so, it's so real. There are things in here that I would have not printed about me. But they But it's honest and it's real. He says, I will praise you for you have magnified your what, guys? Your word. Your word. Isn't it important to have the word of God? It's important to have the word of God. Listen, listen. Church is a wonderful thing. Having the blue chairs, having the fellowship, all of that. But this should be central to our lives, the Word of God. This is the thing we look for more than it. Is the Bible being taught? Is the Word of God being taught? I'll tell you why. Because you don't want my opinion. You don't want my opinions. I'll give you, you want the Word of God. This is what's going to guide you in your life. And it's been said, listen to me, Christian, listen up. It's been said that you are either in the middle of a trial right now, you're coming out of a trial, or you're about to go into a trial. And if that's the case, then I want the Word of God with me. I need His guidance. I need, I need this. I need this. And so again, he says, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you for your Word. I'm going to praise you that I have your Word right here, Lord. And we should cry out to God and thank Him for His Word. Then he says, oh, by the way, um, in the day that I cried out, you answered me. You answered me. And I think David praises God for what? Answered prayer. Answered prayer. Thank you, Lord, for answered prayer. The other day, um, our group, the, the Thursday night group and, and so forth, has been praying for Pastor Sandy Adams' son. Pastor Sandy Adams' son was one of the unlucky ones who got COVID, ended up in the hospital, ended up on a ventilator, and was actually pronounced, hey, you better get his affairs, he's not going to make it. If we don't see any response in the next 24 to 48 hours, we're going to take him off the machine and, and come say your goodbyes. And that Saturday, he moved his fingers. And the other day, 
I sent a video to Eva of Zach Adams talking and praising God. And she said, thank you. That was an answer to prayer. And David says, we're going to praise God for answered prayer. Church, should we not worship and, and, and praise the King of Kings for the answered prayer? And, and the answer is not always yes. Sometimes this awful thing we call COVID-19 has taken our loved one. But what we have to do is rejoice that they're in the presence of God now. And so and we and so and so what what are you praying for? What are you really praying for? And are you praising God that He's answering you? And His answers could be yes. His answers could be wait. Wait, hold on. Not, not, not the right time. Or His answers could be no. I'm not going to do that. That's not what's best for you. I really hate the way I act when I get a no. You know what I'm talking about? Something I've been really, 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 oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I can tell you, you know. So, when I was about 17, my very first car was a Toyota Corolla. And it had a little, little sunroof. It, it was a moonroof. It didn't go back or anything. It was a cute little car, right? Cute car. And it had the best gas mileage, and I mean, it was, it was a really, 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 really good car. But it was cute. And I'm 17 years old, and I didn't want a cute car. I wanted a sexy car. So I passed by the dealership, and I see this, ooh, 1982, right, Chevy Camaro, candy apple red, louvers, rims, the whole nine yard. Now that's a car I could get into. So I drive over there and I take my little car and I say, hey, I want to trade this in and how much you do this. And, and I'm just a kid, so I don't have very good credit at the time. And they tell me, um, no, it's not, it's not going to work. You, you, you probably need a cosigner. You're just young. And I remember praying to the Lord, Lord, if you get me this car, I'll tell everybody, I'll tell, I'll tell everybody how, how I couldn't get this car on my own and you'd give me this car. And the Lord's like, no, that's not, that's not what I want for you. But I didn't take God's no. So I got the credit application. I took it home. I snuck into my dad's room when he wasn't, when he was asleep. I pulled out his, I know she's looking at me like, what? I pulled out his driver's license. I got all his information. I filled out the credit report and I turned it in. <laughs> yeah. And we got approved. And so now I had to convince my dad that all he had to do was sign. And so we got the car. And I got to tell you, that was the biggest lemon I had ever bought. We got to rejoice when God answers no. And I didn't. And I, and I paid the consequence. And I was telling God how, how I, would, I would evangelize the world if he just let me have this car. 
Oh, how we learn, don't we? I love that David sings, when, he, when I cried out, you answered me, and I was bold again. Listen to this story. Josh McDowell was attending seminary in California. His father had went home to be with the Lord. His mother had died years earlier. The problem was is Josh was not sure of her salvation. And he actually became depressed thinking that she might be lost. Well, he would ask the question, he would wrestle with the question, is she a Christian? Was she not the Christian? I'm not sure. The thought obsessed him, and so he prayed, Lord, 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 somehow give me the answer so I can get back to normal. I've just got to know. It seems like an impossible request. So he's praying, God. Two days later, Josh drove out to the ocean, and he walked to the end of the pier to be alone. And there sat an old woman in a lawn chair fishing. Where's your home, originally, she asked. Michigan? Union City, Josh replied. Nobody's heard of it. I tell people it's a suburb of Battle Creek, she interrupted the, interrupted the woman. I had a cousin from there. Did you know the McDowell family? Stunned, Josh responded, yes, I'm Josh McDowell. I can't believe it, said the woman. I'm your cousin to your mother. Do you remember anything at all about my mother's spiritual life? Asked Josh. Why, sure. Your mom and I were just girls, teenagers. We went to a tent revival, came to town. It was on the fourth night, and we both went forward to accept Christ. Praise God, shouted Josh, startling the surrounding fishermen. God answers prayer, doesn't he? We're praising God for that prayer. Point number two, God's plan for the world. Look at verse four. David writes, all the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is, is the glory of the Lord, though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Now, note with me, answered prayer gives witness to the lost, does it not? Because the first thing he says is all the kings will praise the Lord. All the kings will praise the Lord. They will sing of the ways of the Lord. Now, let me just say this, okay? If you're an underliner, underline verse 4, because I think that'll, that'll bring comfort to you in the coming months and years. Why? Because all the kings of the earth, they're going to praise the Lord. They are. They're all going to bow the knee. They're going to bow the knee, every one of them. If Vladimir Putin is alive, he's going to bow the knee to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All of the leaders of the world, and somehow through media and somehow through all of these things, they seem to kind of scare the world. And David says, no, 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 listen, all the kings of the earth, they're going to praise the Lord. They're going to bow down. They're going to bow down. Listen, listen. When God moves mightily in your life, people will see it and turn to the Lord. 
but not only in the good times, but also in the bad times. People will understand when you have a bad day or a bad month, but understanding does not mean we, rep- we, we, we represent Jesus well. We have to come and represent Jesus well. Think about what he's saying here, guys. God has a plan for the world, but we need to represent the Lord well. Point number three, thanking God for his purpose in life. Verse seven, though I walk in the midst of trouble. Anybody been there? Yeah. You will receive me. You will revive me. Forgive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me, and the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Now, here's what I need you to know. He says, though I walk in the midst of trouble. Now, here's the gospel message. How so? We walk in a sinful world. We are sinful people, but the Word of God says that He revives us, and He destroys our enemies, and He saves us. Isn't that amazing? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And He says something in verse 8. He said, the Lord will perfect. That word perfect, guys, you can, have, you can circle it, but it refers to God's work in David's life. How so? Specifically, the Davidic, Davidic covenant. To perfect means God is using, listen to this, an experience to mature or strengthen or complete his servant. What does that mean? Oh, isn't this good, right? He's saying this, the Lord is going to use experiences in your life to grow you up. To grow you up. To mature you. To strengthen you. Now, Think about your last trial, your last hardship. It might have been COVID. It might have been. Think about what your very last trial was. Did you grow in that? Did you mature? Were you strengthened by the Lord? Because I've got to tell you, a lot of times, what do we do, church? We revert back to the place that we were. It's like the test that we have to keep taking over and over and over. It's not like you got an F. Bummer, dude. It's like you failed the test. Let's try again. And, and, And the purpose of the test is not a pass or fail. What is it? It's so that you can grow closer to God. You can grow. Now, listen, listen, just as between us, I fail a lot of tests. But I'm getting better when I can start seeing the growth in my life and go, okay, okay, okay. As Listen to me, Christian. As we start to grow, as we grow numerically as a church, as we grow as individuals, as we teach the Word of God, as we grow in our walks with God, the enemy is going to come stronger and stronger and stronger, and there's going to be opposition, and there will be those days where you go, I don't want to get out of bed. The purpose of that, guys, is for us to grow in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord that we're stronger. Now, I have a great example. I have a great example 
I watched my dear wife go through one of the biggest trials of our lives. And many a day I wanted to crumble and, and give up and, and peace out, and I did. But I watched her be just, just grow and, and, and glorify God in every, I can't tell you. She would go through chemo Tuesday morning and she would be here at church on Wednesday night. Tired, weak, but she, I, I need to be there. And it'd wipe her out and she'd still be here. Sunday mornings, here she comes, my little poor wife. And I saw, I saw the glory of God. I saw her grow in that, guys. And it shames me when I go through a little trial. I can't believe it. God, don't you love me? Why won't you, you know? Instead of going, God, help me to learn what's this purpose. Because you do have a purpose for me. I want to grow. I want to be more like you. Oh, you're going to use an experience. You're going to perfect what? That which concerns me. That's what concerns me. Pressures help eliminate unimportant things. Isn't that true? To separate believers from the fellowship with God. In the midst of their troubles, God remakes and renews them. And that's the truth, guys. When you see what's going on, when you see what's happening in the Middle East, when you see what's going on in our world, these pressures actually eliminate what's not important anymore. And you start focusing on what's important. So, as we close, as we close, think about this. I want to leave you with an illustration, okay? Here's the illustration. It says, I don't praise God because I feel like it. I praise him because he said to, because it is good for me, because when I do, he does great things. Can you imagine being in a war and you see the enemy pouring over ridges? Your first response is, ah, and your sergeant comes to you and says, don't worry, son, put your rifle down and use your rocket launcher. But sergeant, I don't feel like it. Use it, son, it works. But sergeant, you don't understand. I'm afraid, I'm hurting, and I'm happy, I'm depressed. My wife yelled at me, don't give me an excuse, private, use the rocket launcher. Isn't that a little bit like what happens in church? Some people you'd swear by watching them that their life is always good to them because they make the decision not to let their circumstances or their feelings determine their behavior. Others, if they had a bad week, they stop using their rocket launcher and they stop praising God. End quote. Father, we thank you today for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you, Lord, that you're in control of all things. And, Lord, you do. We do. And so, Lord, we want to take this time. Lord, we've got, um, we've got just a few minutes, and we praise you, God. And we want to sing to you and praise you, Lord, for answered prayer, for plans, and for purposes. So, Lord, if we can take these next 12 minutes and within ourselves, just reach out, just with our whole heart. Church, listen to me. If there's anything in your life right now that you need to confess, confess it to the Lord, bring it to Him, and lay it down at the altar.
But when you praise and when we sing, God, praise God with our whole heart. Praise God with our whole heart. Thank you that he's, he's in control of our world. He's got us. He's got us. That's what David says. And then praise God that he has a purpose for every one of our lives and he's going to do great things. Can I get a good amen on that? So let's worship the Lord, guys, with all of our heart. If you need to stand, stand. If you need to come up front, come up front. This is what we're going to do. We're just going to worship the Lord. We're just going to praise him. Praise him with all of your heart, guys. Praise him with all of your heart. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be praised. We love you, Jesus. Just tell him that you love him. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for even those tough experiences that you constantly want to grow us up. Lord, you are gracious. You are compassionate. You are loving. We worship you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.